0: and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, our first reading for this weekend, which we also hear, by the way, during the Christmas season, brings us back to the 8th century B.C. and the musings of the prophet Isaiah. Just about a century before the time of Isaiah, Assyrian warriors had invaded the northern kingdom of Israel and it carried the people off into exile and subjected others to great oppression. One of the areas they hit hardest was Zebulun and Naphtali, regions in the northwest part of the territory, near and around the Sea of Galilee. That's why Isaiah says that the Lord, quote, degraded the land of Zebulun. In the land of Naphtali. He means they were the object of this terrible persecution and attack. But then we hear something really interesting. He foresees, he prophesies, that from that land of gloom, a light will come. Listen. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light Upon those who dwelt in the land of gloom, a light has shone. Again, it's a very specific historical reference here. The people who suffered the aggression of the Assyrians, people whose maybe family members were carried off, those under the boot of an oppressive power, those people have seen a great light upon those who dwelt in the land of gloom, those particular people in this gloomy state of affairs, on them, a light has shone. There's a very specific reference here. We might miss it, but those at the time knew what Isaiah was talking about. Listen, for the yoke that burdened them, the pole on their shoulder and the rod of their taskmaster, you have smashed, O Lord. Well, he's talking about the Assyrians, isn't he? The yoke that burdened them. Think of of any oppressed people over the centuries would say things like this. The pole on their shoulder, great image for oppression. The rod of their taskmaster. Think of a slave driver. The Lord has smashed all these things. Again, language eminently recognizable to people under oppression today. It expresses their longing. So there's reading number one. It's going out of the Gospel. St. Matthew, who was specially versed in the Hebrew Scriptures, applied this somewhat obscure passage from Isaiah to the emergence of Jesus as a public figure. Now why? Well, because coming out of Nazareth, Jesus is precisely a man from Zebulun and Naphtali. He's from the northern reaches of the country. Which still, for many, many centuries, was regarded with a good deal of suspicion by those in the south, those around the capital of Jerusalem. Notice how Matthew quotes Isaiah, referring to it as Galilee of the Gentiles. See, that means it was invaded by these Gentile forces and a lot of them still remained, you know? So Galilee was kind of mixed territory. It was it was questionable. You know, we can hear much of the same thing in that famous passage in John's Gospel, when Nathaniel, having heard of Jesus' provenance, wonders, can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, that's what he means. You know, we don't quite well, I mean, why would you be so down on Nazareth? Well, that's why because it's up in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It's up in this sort of half-breed land, a land of gloom, a land associated with oppression. The point Matthew's making, and it's, it's echoing Isaiah, is that precisely out of this dark and suspicious place, light has come. So just as Isaiah had prophesied, precisely out of that region of oppression, light has come. And now we hear, everybody, a standard biblical motif. That God has a way of bringing the best precisely from the worst. The most wonderful from the least expected place. Let me just say that again. I think it's a basic biblical principle. God has a way of bringing the best precisely from the worst. The most wonderful from the least expected place. Now, you see it over and over again in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah can't have children. He's 100, she's 90. But precisely from them, comes the child of promise. Comes Isaac, and comes Jacob, and comes the whole line. Joseph is sold by his brothers, sent into exile, falsely accused, and then imprisoned for seven years. Precisely, Joseph becomes the vizier of Egypt and a kind of savior of the world. Remember, because he presides over the feeding of the world during a time of famine. Moses wanders for years in exile. Moses doesn't have the capacity to speak well, and yet he becomes the liberator of his people. Hannah is childless and forgotten. It's hard to imagine someone lower on the social scale than Hannah, a childless woman at that time. But precisely Hannah becomes the mother of Samuel, who becomes one of Israel's greatest prophets and moves salvation history forward. David is the youngest son to whom no one pays attention. And yet David receives the promise. And upon David, the spirit of the Lord rushes. Jeremiah tells the Lord, Look, don't call me. I'm too young. And yet he's the one that God wants to be a great prophet. Peter, James, and John are simple fishermen. And yet they become the cornerstones of the church. Paul. Ruthlessly persecutes the early Christians. And then he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Summing it all up, a crucified criminal hanging helplessly on the cross, being slowly tortured to death. He's the Son of God. You see, I'm talking about this logic that runs relentlessly through the Bible. We could search out the reasons for all this, but it would take us too far afield right now. Suffice it to say that in the logic of the Bible, in God's logic, light tends to come from darkness. Grace tends to break, through in the most unexpected way and from the most unexpected quarters that's theologic that's the logic of the bible now the world has always taught and continues to teach a different lesson in fact the opposite lesson what do you hear now from advertising from music from movies from the every book you read in the culture Well, success builds on success. Those who strive the hardest get the furthest. People who are good-looking and successful and cool and on top of the heap, they're the ones we look to. you got to be a go-getter. Failure, suffering, pain should be rejected at all costs. Weakness, vulnerability, growing older, all that is shunned. See, it's the logic of the world, everybody, but it's not theologic. Every single saint and mystic that I've read has emphasized the centrality of the cross in both knowing and loving God. The cross, that's shorthand for that criminal I was talking about, hanging desperately on this instrument of torture. That one, that's the cross. Don't treat it like an abstraction. It means that figure. The cross is the key to knowing and loving God. Somehow, and again, to explain this fully would would require a whole course in theology, a whole lifetime of prayer. But somehow the deepest experience of God comes precisely through suffering, through failure, through loss. Remember that wonderful scene, St. John of the Cross, the greatest of the spiritual writers in the whole tradition. The Lord spoke to him. What do you want? He said, I want to be forgotten, reviled, persecuted, and rejected. And I want to die with no one knowing what I accomplished. See, what in the world? (laughs) Is he out of his mind? No, no. What's he saying? I want to be like you. I want to follow the theologics. Same is true in Teresa of Avila. The same is true in The Little Flower. The same is true in Padre Pio. Read any of the mystics. So, here's the question now for all of us. What is the Zebulon and Naphtali in your life? What right now is a place of darkness and gloom? What's the place right now in your life of oppression and hardship? Now, Zebulun, Naphtali, what am I talking about? It might be a physical illness. It might be psychological suffering. It might be a particular way that you're worrying about your kids. It might be the loss of a job. It might be a deep injustice that you're suffering, like those long ago suffering under the taskmaster's rod of the Assyrians. Maybe it's an old grudge. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one that you just can't seem to get over. Maybe it's your own fear. Maybe a profound failure. Maybe persistent sin. I don't know what it is. But I'm asking you, what is your Zebulun and Naphtali? Place of gloom. I'm not asking you to glorify this state of affairs, or to wallow in it masochistically. But listen, I am asking you to see whether this might be the very place where the light will come. I want you to see whether this might be the very place in the land of gloom where the light will dawn. What is God working precisely where you feel most vulnerable, most alone, most lost. Remember Paul's wonderful meditation on the thorn in his flesh, which we don't know what that was. Some suffering, some terrible suffering. Three times he says, I begged the Lord that it might be taken away. But each time the Lord said, my grace is enough for you. Now listen how that closes. It's the theologic I've been talking about. For in weakness, power reaches perfection. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, in the land of gloom, a light has dawned. Watch for it, and God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.